Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. What? The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. This is Squared Circle Radio. Electrify the millions. Yeah. You know something, mean, Gene. The latest news and commentary on the world of professional wrestling. Yes! Yes! Can I have yes! your attention, please? This ain't sing along with the champ. Hey, yo. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. And now, Squared Circle Radio. With your main eventers, Jason Martin, David Reed, and Brandon Haggerty. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome in Square Circle Radio on the air here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. You also just heard me on Fox Sports Radio, host of the Jason Martin Show. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Brandon Hagney out of town. In West Virginia for the holiday weekend. David Reed with the week off. So I guess I'm handling this one solo. 615-737-1045. If you want to join me to talk pro wrestling, 615-737-1045. Hope you enjoyed your July 4th. We'll get back to the business of talking sports across the zone tomorrow. Big news, Kawhi Leonard. He's an L.A. Clipper, not an L.A. Laker. Paul George leaving Oklahoma City and joining him. Pretty crazy. So we've done the pro wrestling thing on this show for about five and a half years. And I watched all the television this week, as did many of you. And I think maybe some of you might not know what you're watching on TV as it relates to why these matches are short and what exactly is happening. And so we know Paul Heyman has taken over as the executive director of Raw We know Eric Bischoff has taken over as the executive director of SmackDown. On Monday night, you felt like Paul Heyman had some semblance of control. On Tuesday night, Bischoff wasn't there. Bischoff's not taking over until the night after the pay-per-view, which I thought would be the case for both, or should have been the case for both, because it's sort of a lame duck period. So Heyman's got his fingerprints on some of of the show, but we already knew that the main event was the mixed tag and there were things that were already set in motion so there wasn't anything really to do we already knew what we were likely to get in terms of the title match with Kofi and Samoa Joe for instance so I think it would have been better to have just finished up what you already had planned and then have these guys start the night after but Heyman goes ahead and starts and they start raw out with this crazy angle where three or four minutes into it Braun Strowman tosses Bobby Lashley through the entrance, through the set, it explodes with like 10 to 15 cartoonish level explosions. We're told somebody might have been electrocuted. And they go to this wide shot far away from the idea, and it came from almost like a side angle. And no one spoke for about three minutes. And they got this part right. And this was definitely Paul Heyman's doing because – He is about trying to make certain things more believable. Now, I had some issues with some of the things that he did as well. But the overarching problem with an angle like what we saw Monday 
from Stroman and Lashley is that it's just not believable. And it was actually made worse by the sheer number of explosions that went through and the fact that there were a ton of people back there, but only these two guys got hurt and got hurt badly in the process. But in this case, Vince has done such a just unbelievable job of making sure that his company has no credibility. That when you see something like this, you can't get behind it. And I know some people enjoyed this because it reminded them of the late 90s. It reminded me of the late 90s, too, and that wasn't a reason why I enjoyed it. I thought it was dumb overall. It was more entertaining maybe than a 20-minute promo would have been, and that's probably your alternative. But nobody's getting electrocuted here, and we're not buying into it. Why was there a false count anywhere match in the first place? Well, there was a false count anywhere match so that they could set this spot up. But they moved the camera away, and nobody talked. And then you had Corey Graves using a curse word 10 minutes into the show. And that was another theme here. I think some people enjoyed this enough and stuck around to see what was going to happen, or it just kind of surprised them enough at the very least. But Heyman was behind the segment. This was his handiwork. The few things that he had the most impact on, he likes Ricochet. Ricochet's about to get pushed big as long as he's making the decisions, which is a good thing, I think. And he wrote that Canellis segment. He was behind that, which was absolute just horrific television on every level. And maybe he has some plan, but Paul Heyman's not a guy who's done romance particularly well in the past in pro wrestling. But what Paul Heyman believes in from a creative standpoint is the stuff that we saw 20 and 25 years ago. He can do the real, but he also has to do it salaciously. He can't just do it real. He's got to be edgy. He's got to push the envelope. He's got to throw the sex and the language and the extra violence and all of that on top of it. And I think that that era has largely passed. The ratings were up on Monday, but I don't think that was because the show was particularly great. I think it was more because people were curious after the news was released that Paul had taken control and Eric Bischoff was going to be given control of SmackDown. And as I said, Bischoff didn't do anything on Tuesday's show. We won't see what he's going to do for a couple of weeks. There's already the fear that he's going to intersperse Hogan back onto television sooner rather than later. Because it's his best friend. And because Bischoff is actually going to move to Stamford, Connecticut. Something he said he was never going to do, but is going to do at age 64, I think it is. He's in his 60s. I don't know if he could do the job or not. Raw was an okay show. It wasn't like a total atrocity. But some of the things that were counterproductive about it, I think, were... It was definitely one of those that left you a little bit confused and baffled in some ways. But I wanted to go back to the idea of these short matches and all these things that, that seem to be strange. You may know this, you may know, you may not. If you don't, there is a new decree from Vince McMahon that says there is to be no wrestling action during commercial breaks. So that means every match has to take place within one break or they have to come up with some convoluted, very fake, very phony way 
to give us a break, to give the guys in the ring a break where they don't touch each other at all until we come back. And so you have things like we saw on Monday where AJ Styles pinned Ricochet like three minutes into a wrestling match, but Ricochet gets his foot underneath the rope. So AJ celebrates. Then a second referee comes out and says, no, 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 no. Ricochet put his foot under the ropes. This thing continues. And then Michael Cole says, we'll be right back. We'll reset this match. And they do it again. This is so contrived and obnoxious. And this is why you're seeing two out of three falls matches all over the place. And it's why you're seeing just strangely short bouts. It feels like a wrestling show that's not a wrestling show. And so the reason why this is happening is because Vince McMahon has figured out or someone has told him that sports are not played during commercials. The basketball game stops. The football game stops. And so he thinks because they're going to Fox, which is more reputable and wants it to be sports-based, that he needs to follow it as if it is a sport. The problem is it's not a sport. It is a performance, and unlike a television show where you have like an episode of Breaking Bad, there is a spot where you can take a commercial break and nothing happens. You come back and you pick back up. You can't do that in pro wrestling. They've always gone to commercials during longer matches in pro wrestling, and you'll hear Jim Ross back in the day with Bob Cottle on NWA Main Event, for example, say the tape machines are rolling. If you miss anything during this break, we will show it to you when you get back. And you never would. Once in a, I don't know, I think maybe once a match came to an end during a commercial break. And this was when this show wasn't even live that they were showing. This was just something to make it feel a little bit different. Something to make it feel a little bit unique. But they're in control. No matches are going to come to an end in the, in the middle of the break unless they want them to. The problem was... Right before they made this change, I remember they went to commercial break on several occasions in the middle of comebacks for baby faces who had been under the gun for three or four minutes in the heat. And so you would miss the comeback and you can't miss the comeback. You can't like what you do is you go to commercial break during the heat. The heel takes the advantage and he locks on a chin lock or whatever it is. And he just sits down with it in the center of the ring. And then you go to break. And then WWE's old strategy would be they would go to the floor or someone would roll to the floor and Michael Cole would do his transition phrase and they would go to the break and they would come back and you wouldn't have missed anything of import either. And of course they have the matches on Tuesday nights on SmackDown where it's in the corner of the screen at all times. And it's like a split screen with the commercial break. But the way that they're doing this can't be sustained because there are only so many ways to make this feel like these matches can be, quote, reset, unquote, which is the terminology that I guess Vince favors over restarted or whatever. So they're finding methods to get them to commercial breaks where there's no wrestling happening. And then there's a bigger issue, I think, even than what we're seeing on TV. Because on TV, it feels more seamless, even though it feels so fake. But it's got to be a miserable experience to watch those shows live. And so even a hot crowd is going to get killed because all night long, it's either going to be a short match or it's going to be a two out of three falls with a three or four minute break in it. There was a two out of three falls match with Elias and The Miz 
last week on SmackDown, I think it was last week, where the first fall came within like 15 seconds. The second fall came before a minute had passed, and then they went to break and came back and did like four minutes, and that was the match. That's absurd. A two out of three falls match I used to like a lot better than I do now, but a two out of three falls match should not be a six-minute match because why not just do the full six minutes? You're not forced to take commercial breaks at every 10 minutes. Like in radio, we kind of have numbers where we want to hit when it comes to breaks. I'm approaching one of them right now, as a matter of fact. And so you do that, and there are reasons for that. So that you're on the same wavelength as everybody else, and that your content is always on against other content. And your commercials aren't on against somebody else's content because they're going to pick the content over the commercial breaks. But that's not the way it is in pro wrestling, or it's not the way it is with WWE, and it never has been. You can stack the commercials and leave yourself room for a 15-minute spot, maybe even a 20-minute spot. Now, eventually, you have to take a break, and that's why you have to split these things up, but you don't have to stop the action and reset it. I know Vince thinks this is a good idea. It's a terrible idea. It ensures we're not going to get very good matches at all on television ever because they can't either be long or they get so disjointed, as is the case with AJ and Ricochet, who you could give 15 or 22 or 45 to. I'm not saying you can do that on TV, but they're capable of doing this match is what I'm saying. But instead, you get three minutes and a pinfall that should not happen because it's way too fast, and neither one of those two guys should be getting beaten that fast. And then some kind of excuse as to why well, it wasn't really it. So we're going to go back and do this thing again. But let's take a commercial break first and figure it out. So the live audience is sitting there watching these referees argue and make this determination. And then they're given a rest period for a couple of minutes until it's time to come back on TV. And that has to change. That has to stop. I don't know how long this will go, but I can't imagine it, it can last long. It is totally unsustainable. And it makes these television shows choppy, and it makes them feel very staccato. If you allow me to borrow a music term, it's just a very, just kind of like pinprick almost. Just t- 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 there's not any kind of fluid motion to it. There's no running water. There's no river here. There's just break, 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 break. A story can't work that way. And you can't treat pro wrestling as sports because you don't have television timeouts the way you do in college basketball at the under 16 and the under 12 and the under 8 and the under 4. There are timeouts. There was an argument about this uh, made by media members a couple of weeks ago that liked this idea, at least in theory, and talked about how, well, the commercial breaks wouldn't just interrupt the flow of the play. Like, Well, yes, they actually do. Under 16, the first dead ball is going to send it to a timeout. There's, there are guaranteed spots where you're going to get it. The argument was, well, if the game keeps on going, then they'll just stay on for 30 minutes. No, they won't. That's why they have those built-in breaks. Now, things can change when you get to overtime. If you've already paid off all the advertisers and you don't necessarily have as much, then you can do it. But even then, they're going to give the guys a break. Plus it's the same guys. It's one team against another team. It's not a bunch of different people. So you don't have to worry about the fatigue issue here. So there's just innumerable problems with this. You can't wrestle during the breaks thing. There's a reason why they did it one way for decades and decades. 
I don't think that's one that you need to change. Now I think what you are doing, you need to change because you are actively harming your in-ring portion of the product. Notice these things aren't happening during promos. These things are happening during the wrestling matches. And that's still generally why people, I think, maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. You can call me at 615-737-1045 and tell me this. But I still think that it's the wrestling matches that's why you watch this stuff, right? Could be wrong. We'll be right back. Squared Circle Radio, 104.5 The Zone. Hey there, it's Jay. Welcome back to Squared Circle Radio here on 104.5 The Zone. We talk pro wrestling every week by we. I usually mean David Reed and Brandon Hagney. They have the holiday weekend off, so I'm Jason Martin, host of the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio, the Big Six, the Pop Six, as well here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, talking about these just insane you-can't-wrestle-during-any-commercial-breaks rules that Vince McMahon has instituted. Heyman takes over Raw has his fingerprints on some pieces of the show. I'll tell you what pieces here in a bit or go into more detail about it. Bischoff has done nothing as of yet. That will change on the week following. I guess it'll be two days after Extreme Rules, which is next Sunday. So not too long from right now. And that's good for Bischoff. There's nothing that gets accomplished to me by him showing up. And I think the same thing's true for Heyman, really. Neither one of those two guys should really be doing very much until after Extreme Rules because stuff was already put into motion. And if they're not going to be TV characters, and I still have a feeling Bischoff's probably going to be a TV character. Maybe Heyman is in some ways, but I think maybe just as Brock Lesnar. Ryan Mudd's my producer, by the way. 615-737-1045. You can join this program. Let's go to Steven and Dixon. He's up first here on Square Circle Radio. Steven, what's up? Hey, Jason. What's up, man? Hey, man. Hey, listen. We talk, I've talked about this, Steve, before, but I'm definitely a Bischoff guy. He's the reason... They got me to watch wrestling again in the late 90s, so I am excited about it. Um, my only question would be is whether he's, might be a stupid question, but is his, you know, is his family going to go with him to Stanford, his wife and everything? And then uh, the other thing I'd like to say, I didn't know you touch on it, and it's, it obviously didn't get me. It was obviously planned, but a couple of weeks ago in that uh, segment with Corey Graves with Sammy Zane, he mentioned a little small Alec remark where, oh, we could talk about anything. We could yeah. talk about AAW. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just interesting that, you know, I wonder if he came up with that on the down. I know everything is usually planned, but um, but anyway, that's all I got, man. Have a good day. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, the AEW thing is, I don't know what the advantage to doing that would be. Sammy made that comment. Notice that electric chair segment has not come back. Sammy said, I could talk about AEW. There were conflicting reports. One, that it was okay for him to say it. One, that he went off script. I think the former is probably true, that it was okay for him to say it, and maybe they even mentioned it to him. I don't know what you gain out of doing that other than, hey, we're not afraid of AEW, but we know you kind of are because all the moves that you're making right now feel like a company that doesn't really understand why you're not on the cusp of what you were. I mean, Fighter Fest did well, did far better than expectations on BR Live last weekend. We saw how fast everything sold out in Chicago. My buddy Brandon Hagney is either going to have to go secondary market or they won't go because 
He couldn't get tickets. Nobody could get tickets. I tried to get tickets for him. I was in the 50,000s in a building that holds like 10. So AEW does seem to be really a bother to WWE. For instance, the reason why Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, one of the big reasons at least, as to why they were the ones chosen is to keep them away from AEW because both were seen as potential threats if they went over in a creative capacity or otherwise to work for All Elite. So, and this from Wrestling Observer, while a lot of people are in denial about AEW, one person in the company noted to us that the most concerning thing are the stats that show that AEW fans are not WWE fans, and the belief is they come from two camps those who despise WWE and want an alternative, and a new fan base they've created through social media and one-on-one marketing through appearances, that is a younger audience that doesn't care enough about WWE to hate it. The ratings are in decline, even though they were up this week. I think it was 12%, which is not bad. They held on a little bit in the third hour. But I think this was more curiosity than anything. Usually you tune in for the first week, but it does not sustain especially if you're trying to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall. Now, they didn't. They threw some stuff at the wall. Some of it was just absolutely atrocious on Monday. But they did not. It wasn't full-on crash TV, which is a good thing because that's not how it should work. You have to build and just build smart and do a couple of big things, but you can't get people expecting you're going to do it every week or you become, well, you become Vince Russo. Eric in Nashville up next. E, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Uh, here's my take on wrestling in general. One of the reasons I don't go to the matches anymore, well, there's two actually. One is it's just gotten too expensive for me to go, but also it's just not as entertaining as it used to be. Unless I went free tickets or something like that, it's about the only way to go. I'll go. I haven't been to a wrestling match actually in about nine years, and that was actually a TNA Impact deal with Kyle, M- uh, Kyle Vandenbosch. But one of the things that kind of frustrates me is, is like I said, the storyline. I do like the 24-7 thing for R-Truth. And like you said before, he definitely makes the best out of just any yeah. situation. He is hilarious. But one of the things that really frustrates me, and this has been talked about before, is wrestlers who you see and then they'll just disappear. And you haven't seen them for like, I don't know how long, like the whole thing with Mike and Maria Camellas on Monday night. I know it's been more than six months since we saw them. Uh, where Shelton Benjamin popped up on TV. I hadn't seen him in a while. And where he'll say, because he was asked a question about who's going to win between Samoa Joe and, Ar- and uh, excuse me, uh, um, Kofi. Kofi. Kofi King, to be, I'm sorry. It's just like, what would they ask this question for? And what was his reaction? The fact that Shinsuke Nakamura, he popped on television a couple weeks ago, uh, supposed to make challenges to uh, Finn Balor. And then what's happened with that? That was a couple weeks ago. We haven't seen anything on that. In fact, what's happened to Rusev? One of my favorite wrestlers, and he's disappeared. It's just like, and Randy Orton, after that match, Triple H, we haven't heard from him in a while. It's just, Stuff like that, where all these wrestlers that are on the uh, uh, main event roster will disappear. You don't see them for months, and it's just, and that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me. And I know you've got to give your main stars time and all that type of stuff, but it's just like I, it's just like it's just it's just frustrating. But talk to you, take care. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, Eric, appreciate it. Rusev went home. Rusev said, "I'm taking time off. I need some personal time." He's unhappy, as he should be, and. He would do well in Japan. He would do very well in AEW. I think he will land in one of those two places. I don't know his contract situation, but I know that he deserves better. And they do drop the ball a lot. The Nakamura-Baller thing, I think, will probably reemerge for SummerSlam. Maybe they'll do something on TV this week, and they will shoot an angle, and they'll run it on Sunday. I kind of hope they don't. 
I'm already not really loving the fact that we're watching AJ and Ricochet every single week on TV when that's a match that could be a WrestleMania match if they built it properly for the next nine months, ten months, until they got to that show. But they're not doing that. The Bischoff portion of this is intriguing, maybe more so than anything, because of the perception of what Bischoff is and the reality of what Bischoff is as it relates to pro wrestling. You heard that first caller talking about it was Bischoff that kind of brought him back to wrestling. I used to think that until I started listening to Bischoff and how he actually, or maybe I should say how he was not involved in much of the creativity that went along. And he really had one idea. And when that one idea failed, he didn't know what to do because he was not a creative guy. He's being brought in to be an executive director and someone that's making creative decisions alongside Vince McMahon. He's basically in Road Dogg's role on SmackDown, but I think maybe with a little bit more pizzazz behind it, even if it's just a figurehead title. Is Bischoff equipped for this? If you've listened to 83 weeks, I'm not so sure. We will continue. 615-737-1045 is our telephone number. If you'd like to join the program, you can always tweet us at Zone Wrestling or me at Jmart Zone. We'll be right back here on 1045 The Zone. Hi, I'm Ron. Welcome back here on a Sunday morning, Square Circle Radio, 1045 The Zone. Hope your Fourth of July went well. Mine was good. Brandon Hagney did, is uh, he's in West Virginia. Hopefully he had a good holiday. David Reed off for the holiday as well. We'll all be back in force next week. Extreme Rules is next Sunday night. We will preview that one for you. And it'll be Tuesday that Bischoff takes over. Monday, I guess Heyman took over this past Monday. I say take over. Nobody's taking over for Vince. But they have input on ideas. And reportedly, Paul was sitting next to Gorilla with Vince and was sort of producing some of the segments. We'll see how long this lasts. We came back with Kevin Owens' music there. That's one thing they did get right on Tuesday, is now Kevin Owens is going to go back babyface, which is what they brought him back to do, and then moved it because of uh, an injury and because of what they wanted to do at Fastlane, which was a mistake. And so they turned him on the new day instead of letting it stay there. And now they've gone back to the original thought. And Kevin Owens, the baby face is something that I've wanted to see for a while because it's something we have not seen in such a long time. And we really have never seen it in WWE. I mean, the closest we got was, was the Jericho Owens stuff before Owens really flipped. And there was like a, a likability to what was going on during that time frame. But Kevin Owens is kind of an everyman, and his Twitter is is funny. He's good on social media. You know, he's always got photos with his kids and his dogs, and just seems to be a pretty good guy. And I think that there is something to be said for that. You want to create a believable guy. You also want to create somebody that fans can relate to. We may pay money to see people that don't look like our next door neighbor, but we also like to see a variety and a couple of guys that do look like our next door neighbor still can move the needle for us. I mean, you think about some of the blue-collar champions throughout the years in pro wrestling. A lot of them have made a lot of money for those organizations. One of them, and the one that I always go to, being Diamond Dallas Page. Dallas Page, the Vegas bouncer, the self-high-five guy from 
original way back. That didn't work out. And, of course, Paige got better in the ring, which did not. I mean, that helped him. But it was going through the crowd, and it was becoming kind of a people's champion when he went up against the NWO and refused to join that organization. That's what made DDP. That's what made him into what he was as a character. And so when you can find somebody that can relate to your audience, but not relate to them because, oh, well, they're just as stupid as the people in the crowd. No. Kevin Owens can hopefully be the baby face that represents the audience and isn't constantly the butt of every joke or the total fool. Ziggler came out in that segment on Tuesday night and did his shtick and, or well, tried to do his shtick, and Kevin Owens cut him off with one of the better promos that we've seen this year, just in terms of what he said being not just well stated, but 100% accurate. And that's another problem in WWE when it comes to the promos that don't seem to have logic behind them. This one had total logic. And so, what he said about Dolph, I saw Hagney tweet out that Kevin Owens was his favorite wrestler after that if he wasn't already. And I was kind of right there with him beforehand and afterwards. So I think that there's actually something you can do with Kevin Owens, the baby face and make no mistake. That's what we saw on Tuesday night in those two moments from Owens. The one at the beginning where he was kind of mocking Shane McMahon and he had the script cards in his hand, the cue cards in his hand, and he was reading them terribly intentionally on purpose to show that it was like he was being forced to say certain things. And then you get to the end, and he lays Ziggler out after they fail to qualify to make that tag match a triple threat at Extreme Rules for the titles when they lost to Heavy Machinery. And Heavy Machinery is another interesting act in that Otis has a lot of potential. As a character, he's got everything you want. He kind of strikes me, I guess maybe because they're both bigger guys, but I think that there is some, there's a little bit of Rikishi in Otis Dozovich. And that's not a bad thing from an entertainment perspective. And Otis has a couple of decent spots out there, too. And Tucker Knight's a really good athlete. He's boring, but he's a really good athlete. And at least they're new. We got them, and then on Raw, and I said I was going to tell you what fingerprints Paul Heyman had on this show. Well, one of the fingerprints he had was bringing the Street Profits up from NXT, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford. And I enjoyed their act a lot on Monday. I thought it worked well, the the Brock Lesnar piece, and just, I liked it. Some people did not, but that's just the way it goes. I think that there's something here with this this group, and they've been around, or Dawkins has been around for a long time, and so Heyman wants to bring up somebody new, and they pick the Street Profits. We'll see if Bischoff has anybody that he picks if he's watching the NXT product at all, and that is more a bigger kind of concern internally within some in WWE is they have found out that not only is Bischoff's product knowledge low, it's far lower than even they believed. And so I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Eric Bischoff. We had that first caller call in and talk about how Bischoff kind of brought him to wrestling, brought him back to wrestling. And I'm assuming he means Nitro in late 96 into 97 and probably most of 98. Bischoff really had one good idea that was borrowed from a Japanese angle, that being the NWO. Now, some of it was Bischoff's handiwork, 
And Bischoff was instrumental in let's go get the Luchadores from Mexico and let's go get a Chris Jericho or an Eddie Guerrero or a Dean Malenko out of ECW. He was looking for talent. But the small guys, the cruiserweight stuff that he used to start shows with would end up being kind of the centerpiece of the show in the ring because the main events wouldn't hold up. You would have older guys that couldn't do as much, so you would pop the crowd with a variety show. And that's one thing WCW did very well is things felt different from match to match. One constant issue for Vince is that every match feels the same just with different participants in it because they're all on a formula. And even though there is a basic formula to a wrestling match, AEW has a variety. You get different things from different matches. And that was true in WCW as well. The cruiserweight stuff couldn't be duplicated by anybody else. Television title, you would just get knockdown dragouts that were a little bit higher end that didn't have nearly as many risks, but still had your Booker T's of the world. And at times your Chris Jericho's when he would elevate out of there. And you could see guys that could elevate out of the cruiserweights and be believable for other championships, unlike what you usually see out of the 205 Live guys on TV. But Bischoff was not involved creatively. Like, he doesn't understand finishes. He says that on his 83 Weeks podcast with Conrad Thompson on a regular basis. I I didn't have anything to do with the finish. I, I couldn't come up with finishes. That wasn't my thing. I don't think he came up with much. And one of the reasons why the cruiserweight matches were as successful as they were is because they weren't micromanaged. It's like, hey, Psychosis and um, Hooven 2 Guerrera. Go out there, you got 13 minutes. Hoovy's over. And then that's kind of it. And then they would have an agent with them. And that's generally how it's done. Like on the indie shows that I've done back in the day when I was actually actively in the business behind the scenes, you would just come up to whoever that pairing was or whatever that match was, you say, all right, guys, I need 14 minutes from you and wrestler X you're over clean. And then you would let them work that out. You'd let the two of them figure out their story. You wouldn't meticulously craft everything down to a science. Now the finish would be crafted in key matches, but not always be like, Hey, uh, wrestler Y you're over with your finish nine minutes after the match. Uh, wrestler Z is going to come from the back. He's going to come and try to attack wrestler X and you just earn mutual respect for this guy that you barely knew because of what happened in the ring. So you're going to run wrestler Z off and you and wrestler X are actually going to raise each other's arms at the end of the match. Something to that effect. And then there are some things that are scripted more like battle Royals would be scripted even more because you had to know order of elimination because there was a lot of nuance to it. And you were trying to set up multiple angles out of one match the hardest match that you can do, one of the hardest matches you can do, you can exhaust people in a battle royal because you're just constantly having to punch and you're having to kind of half rear end it half the time. And a lot of guys get blown up in a battle royal far faster than they do in just a one-on-one match. But from a creative standpoint, Bischoff was not particularly creative. He wasn't responsible for a lot of things that went down. He made decisions and he had the right people around him. This is still Vince McMahon's company. It's still Vince McMahon's green light. He's the only one that controls it. He's Steph Curry here. Bischoff can suggest things to him the same way that Brian James could and any number of others that have had that job. Ed Kosky, all those guys. They just add to that chorus, meaning Heyman and Bischoff. Maybe they have a little bit more power, but they also have names 
that have recognition, and if it does fail, they could also become scapegoats. Now, Bischoff has an inherent advantage because USA Network to Fox. Bischoff being in charge of SmackDown, going from a cable network to one of the big four. I think it is from around 9 million homes that USA Network is in to well over 12 for Fox. So before you ever even start the show, you have a 34% audience increase just based on the number of homes it's in. That doesn't mean all of them are going to watch wrestling, but you have that inherent advantage. So the numbers for SmackDown are indubitably going to go up. If they don't, that is an absolute Hindenburg-level diaper fire disaster. And Bischoff will take the fall for that. He said on his podcast, I guess it would be the last podcast. I don't know if it was this week or last week. He said this is the biggest opportunity in many ways he's ever had in pro wrestling because it's such an established company. And he even included WCW in that because the risk involved here. And let's be real. Since leaving, since that last stint when he was kind of on camera in WWE, he's had an amazing level of failure trying to do fighting, trying to do reality TV, trying to do TNA. He and Jason Hervey finally split up in terms of their partnership. So all of the things that he's been trying to do in Hollywood have failed, and he's in need of money. And so he's going to take probably a lucrative deal here, move his family to Stanford, Connecticut, and try to deal with Vince McMahon and the machinations from day to day from that guy in his 70s still being stubborn about every idea. And Bischoff, who was not creative to begin with, I don't know how this is going to work. I really don't. But a lot of people credit Bischoff and Heyman for a time where the business was booming. And that is true to a degree. But if you go back, a lot of it, when it went off the rails, they were still responsible for it. Heyman's stuff does not hold up. ECW is just not a product that really works all that well when you go back and try to watch it. Some of those matches do. Lance Storm's always going to work. But Sandman and some of this stuff, you can't pull that, and you can't pull it in 2019 anyway, especially with no blood on TV and all of those kind of detractors and disadvantages that you used to have. So all of, the, all of these things are considerations that we need to have going into these reigns. Heyman and Bischoff were the 90s, but are they 2019? Are they 2020? Do they still even have these gigs by the time we get to 2020? I think Heyman's got a better shot. I'm very curious to see if Bischoff has something here that we just don't know. And that I know he's taking this seriously. He needs this. This might be his last opportunity to really cash in big. And if he can do this thing right, it could really set him up for a long period of time. So there is a lot on the line for him. Heyman's going to be fine. The Heyman hustle stuff and all that he's doing, that's working out well. They've got contracts with major sports leagues, and, and all sorts of things. He's doing pretty well for himself. He's got some major accounts. Bischoff needs this. And I'll be curious to see if there is a feeling of real desperation in the content that we're going to see on Tuesday nights and in some of the ideas that he's going to put forth. Because if he tries to pull what he has done since the heyday of WCW, even when he was still there and it was failing, that ain't going to work. We'll be right back. Squared Circle Radio, 104.5 The Zone. Thanks for calling. Welcome back. Squared Circle Radio, 104.5 The Zone. 
finishing up here on a Sunday morning. Coach Doug Matthews, Big Orange Sunday following me. I'm Jason Martin, Brandon Hagney, David Reed with the week off. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. We're on Twitter at Zone Wrestling. We'll live tweet Extreme Rules next week. Well, so Heyman had input on that first deal. He had a ton of impact on that. Maria Canellis, Mike Canellis, Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch deal. Speaking of which, Seth and Becky, whatever they were forced to say, whatever they were forced to try and read, that was some of the worst acting on that show as a whole. Lacey and Baron were bad, too. Lacey was terrible. But Seth and Becky were brutally bad. Looked like they had no chemistry together whatsoever, despite the fact they're a real couple in the company. But if you want to know what the heck was going on with Mike Kanellis, there is at least some speculation out there from people that I trust that WWE was angry that Maria was pregnant right after they had signed them to this new deal. And to punish them or to punish her for having the gall to get pregnant, they did this humiliating angle where they buried her husband, set her up to be part of some kind of like maybe she is going to consider becoming a lesbian because of the stuff that he was doing, just completely just burying the two of them. Now, if they have some long plan for this, and Heyman had his fingerprints on this, so maybe they do, but can you even imagine that? And we've seen this before. Remember what happened when Rusev and Lana decided they were going to get engaged and ruined an angle? Vince McMahon cares about pro wrestling and nothing else. He sees pro wrestling and nothing else. He thinks his, he only sees his company. That's the only thing that matters to him in the world. And so everybody else either has to feel that way also, or he doesn't understand like the real life that goes on outside that point. They just signed, they being Mike and Maria, a five-year contract, and then got buried immediately on TV. Like, what's the point of that? Also signing this week, Anderson and Gallows. I think many people believed that they were headed to AEW. They're not. They signed back long-term. And that's why you saw what you saw on Monday, the club reunion, AJ, Anderson, Gallows. And then that was set up, at least according to the Wrestling Observer, before Paul Heyman took control. So this had nothing to do with Paul Heyman. This was actually something that was planned to happen anyway. And good good timing. It's time for AJ to turn. And I, I do want to see those three guys back together again. Anderson and Gallows are far better than they've got a chance to show. We have made that point on this program since they got there, really, because it didn't take long for them to be uh, just dropped down off that card for the most part. But I would say maybe the dumbest thing that I saw all week is what they're doing with Nikki Cross. And that's probably... Look, she beat Bailey in a non-title match on TV. And... Then they're gonna then there's clamor to potentially put her in the title match. Even Bailey says, shouldn't you be getting the shot? You beat me, you beat Carmelo. What has Alexa done? And so everybody is expecting Alexa's gonna turn on Nikki, and I guess that's probably still gonna happen. But then for some unknown reason, Nikki and Bailey face off again on Tuesday, and Bailey pins her clean in three minutes and seven seconds. They were starting to get Nikki Cross over, and then they just beat her on TV in like three minutes. I don't understand why that match ever even took place. I'm trying to figure out what the advantage in doing that was. Nikki Cross has that sort of naive. She's the anti. Like, remember what I was telling you about Kevin Owens acting like an idiot as a baby face, and we need to finally have some smart baby faces. Well, Nikki Cross is a classic WWE, just complete idiot baby face. 
that's innocent, so she gets constantly taken advantage of, doesn't understand what's going on. Everybody's telling her Alexa's going to turn on her and not. That's why I tweeted out a few weeks ago, I'd love to see Nikki Cross be a superhero, be behind this, be a mastermind, and just annihilate Alexa and anybody else in her pathway and be just part of this big angle later. But I know better. I don't know if they've given up on Nikki, and so they've decided they're not going to do what they were going to do, or they just completely had a brain freeze and didn't understand what it meant to beat her in a non-title match just a couple of weeks after finally managing to get her over or starting to get her over. Let's slow down. Maybe not fully over, but at least on the verge of getting her over. Good thing on Tuesday night was the Kingston Joe promo segment. That was good. We discussed last week. Really, I mean, Kofi needs to keep the title, but Joe needs to win it because he hasn't had any kind of real wins in feuds ever. So basically, he's become the new Bray Wyatt. If he's a, if he's a menace again, cutting another great promo, but then just shows up and loses, then he is basically the Alberto Del Rio character. He is basically Kane. He's basically a jobber to the stars. And that's not what Samoa Joe should be. He's the best promo in the company, probably. And he's a legit tough guy and a great pro wrestler who's willing, who can go with anybody. And make it believable. Everything he does is real. I don't know what it's going to take for somebody to realize that. I'm hoping that that's something Bischoff figures out really quickly once he gets there. Is that Joe is a guy that he should get behind. But Kofi's title reign has been one of the few real bright spots on that brand, especially this year. So I don't necessarily want to see it come to an end. So as much as I like this feud, I really... Don't like it for Joe because if he does, I guess it's a win-win because if Joe wins, then Joe's a champ and he's finally got some credibility. If he loses, Kofi's still the champ and that's a good thing. The problem is Joe can't afford so many losses because we're going to stop taking him seriously as a threat. That's the issue. He can choke out as many people as he wants in non-title matches or after matches or on the rampways or wherever it might be. He can do all of those things. But he needs to actually win big-time wrestling matches. That's what we have not seen enough from Samoa Joe doing. And that's something that, that's just antithetical and doesn't make any sense on a larger scale for pro wrestling. So this week, Heyman will have some input tomorrow night on Raw. Bischoff will not have none until after Extreme Rules. These will be the go-home shows for that show, and hopefully that's going to be the send-it-home forever for Lacey Evans and Baron Corbin and anything associated with Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Because then SummerSlam's coming around and they're going to need a bang-up angle for both of them. I don't know what they're exactly they're going to do with Becky. They need to figure something out. Maybe Sasha's coming back and we don't know it. Maybe that might be it. I don't know. And I'm not sure what Seth's going to do either. But they got to figure something out. We will live tweet it at Zone Wrestling tomorrow night. As always, come hang with us. And David and Brandon, they'll be back with me next week. We got Big Orange Sunday coming up next. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Follow us at Zone Wrestling. We talk pro wrestling every week, and we'll do it again. Same bat time, same bat channel, right here next Sunday on 104.5 The Zone. This 